Welcome to Sex Spoken Here with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a sex coach and relationship psychologist and created this show to help you solve any sexual problems, learn about all things sexy, sensual, and intimate, and create your ideal lasting relationship. In my virtual therapy room, I answer questions, interview experts, and provide tips that you can use straight away. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create a problem-free, exciting sex life. Make sure you join us to be up to date on all events and to easily access coaching at www.the-intimacy-coach.com. Welcome to my virtual therapy room. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee, and this is Sex Spoken Here. Remember, this podcast deals with adult themes. So if you don't have privacy, you might wish to put on your headphones. Today is the sixth installment of my Sex Love series. And joining me today is author Anita Cassidy. Welcome to the show. Hi, Laurie. How you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks. Grand. So can we start by you telling me a bit about your background and culture? Okay, so I'm a a white woman, I'm 41. I've grown up traveling around um, Germany and England with my dad's job in the RAF. And I've been living in London now for the last six months after spending 10 years living in Kent, raising my family. Brilliant. So when was the first time you were aware of yourself as a sexual being? I think I was aware of myself as a sexual being as a teenager. I don't remember anything prior to that. Mm -hmm. I remember going, doing the paper round. I think the only real exposure I had growing up to sexual images or images, mostly of women actually, this being the 80s, um, were some of the tabloid newspapers Mm -hmm. that I would deliver on my paper round, but also that would be around the house. And I remember, I remember really enjoying looking at pictures in Sunday sport. I'm not sure that even exists anymore as a thing. I don't think so. It was full of women's breasts and talk about sex and kind of salacious tabloid Sunday stories. And I remember really enjoying reading those. Um, And there was also a couple of experiences where my brother and a friend of mine would try to hoard up pennies to go and listen to phone lines in the phone booth. Again, <laughs> so, so it all sounds so retro now, but we literally, the three of us would kind of cluster around um, the handset in the telephone booth in the, the, the little village I lived in and desperately put all these pennies in and coins in to get past all the kind of pre, because in those days it was all like pre-warnings, 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 and they would tell you what was coming, tell you what was coming. And I don't think we ever got through. I don't think... <laughs> we ever had enough money to get past all the nonsense at the start so that was kind of a uniquely frustrating experience but a, a, you know, a communal one and a funny one it was something that felt very kind of silly and naughty rather than sexy um, did you know what it was you were trying to to get past to hear I think so I think we knew it would be someone talking I think we'd be knew, we knew it'd be someone talking in a sexy way but I'm not, it was more the transgression, I think. I don't think it was actually anything to do with sex. I think it's very much, we shouldn't be doing this. Um, and the same thing with reading the newspaper, I think. It was very much that sense of, 
it's not allowed, you know, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. Because right. I think, again, at that time, it was still very much, you know, children and sex and young people and sex and women and sex, which is not a thing. It just wasn't really permitted. And then throughout the rest of my teens, I suppose 14, 15, I look at my diary now and I can see references to sexy movies and to my body responding to things. I remember feeling uncomfortable. You know, I remember feeling uncomfortable watching movies with my parents and sitting in the lounge, sharing films and kind of having that sense of everyone's discomfort. You know, it would kind of prickle around the room. Yeah. I'm very, very aware of that, but also that I found people attractive, that I found certain things in films and things I watched sexy, as well as in some of the books that I was reading. So I was aware of it, I think, but I was also, I was also quite nervous about it. You know, people would talk about things on the school bus, like fingering, and I would be like, what is that? I don't know. I just, I wasn't able to connect what I was seeing on, in the newspapers and uh -huh. in films with myself, I think, and my body, because I never, I never touched myself. I never, I didn't ever experience that as a teenager. It wasn't something I did. I, just, I don't remember doing that at all. So I definitely didn't really connect me and my body yeah. really and actions I might take with what I was seeing, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So um, how old were you when you had your first sexual experience? I had my first sexual experience when I was about 17. I'd met, I'd met somebody at a bar when I went out with my friends. I really liked him. Um, we went on a couple of dates and he was, I remember finding him really attractive and being really excited actually about getting to know him and exploring that because I know we fell in love and we were very keen on each other. So it felt, it felt really, I felt very lucky. I remember thinking at the time, this feels really right. It feels like the right thing to do. It felt like the right time. Um, and whilst my parents and never talked to me about sex, um, what they also didn't do, I guess, was give me any negative associations, really. Uh -huh. I think whilst I look back and I'm a bit regretful that they didn't talk in a positive way with me about it, I am also quite grateful that they didn't, weigh me down with any massive amounts of negativity about it either it just wasn't spoken about at all right. so a bit like with childbirth really it was just never talked about <laughs> so I kind of went into it I went into both my sexual life and also sort of planning to have a baby and I I kind of conflate the two because it was just it's the absence of negativity that I think was helpful um I think it would have been more helpful to have had a dialogue and to have had some talk but you no know, been, been able to talk about that but I think to be honest as that wasn't possible for lots of reasons, I am grateful for the fact that what I didn't receive were lots of negative messages. So you didn't have a lot of um, built-in shame? No, no, I remember feeling fairly uninhibited. I remember, I mean, again, I read up back of my diaries, I think about that time. And I remember really, you know, really feeling quite enthusiastic about the idea that I would be doing this now with this person that I really liked. Um, I felt really excited about it. My body felt ready. And I think emotionally, emotionally, I felt very differently about it to how I had done at 15. Um, mm -hmm. I've been scared and unsettled by people throwing condoms around on the bus and talking about things I didn't understand. I felt very differently at 17. I felt ready. Um, and when I had that experience, it was mostly positive. I remember it being a positive experience. It wasn't a terribly memorable experience, but it was a positive one. Um, mm -hmm. And my main memory really 
is feeling really excited about developing that further and thinking, right, you know, this is the start of something exciting um, and I can't wait to do more of it. I think that's what I really remember is that feeling of, you know, looking forward to that part of my life starting. Yep. And where did you end up going from there? Well, that relationship ended after about four or five months. You know, he met he met someone else at Waitrose that he preferred to me, and it was all very upsetting. And I remember being really upset. And I think by now, as a poly person, he clearly liked both of us. Yeah, um, <clears throat> he clearly liked both of us, but he felt he had to choose, and he chose Rachel and not me. Um, I can't believe I still remember her name. And um, so yeah, so that relationship ended, and I met someone else. Um, another guy in a bar in Peterborough and again had a few sexual experiences with him but again nothing terribly um nothing terribly memorable he was a little bit more interested in kind of exploring soft drugs and kind of pretending he was Jim Morrison to um <laughs> on a sexual level terribly um but again, and I remember again that disconnect between I really wanted to and he wasn't bothered uh, right. an interesting thing for me to experience because again that really contradicted the narrative I'd absorbed that you know men were really keen to have sex yeah both partners actually both Mark my first boyfriend and Wayne my second boyfriend there was a lot of nervousness around sex um, a lot of hesitancy um, they didn't seem to have the confidence about it that I had they didn't they didn't seem as keen which I thought was interesting and then I went to university at 18 and within a week or two I would had a couple of experiences with someone a bit older than me, which I remember really enjoying. And then I met, um, I met Dave and he was my boyfriend then for the next three and a half years. So I kind of fell straight into this very long-term monogamous relationship um, at 18, 18 and a half. And actually that was a really, that was a really positive experience because he was very enthusiastic. Um, he was fairly relaxed about sex as well. And whilst we weren't terribly adventurous or we didn't really talk about sex much I remember really enjoying that um the, the main problem being the lack of privacy I think we would often try and have sex on a chair because I really enjoyed sitting on top of him um because we discovered how much that how, how good that felt for me and he enjoyed it too but I remember <laughs> I remember basically um somebody saying the next day that because of the bouncing around on the chair it, we were in the room next to the lounge and there was like 10 of us living in this house and basically everything in the room was shaking. <laughs> it was mortifying. And I just don't think we did that again then. I don't think we did that again. It was just too embarrassing. So I think we were kind of slightly inhibited by the lack of privacy. Um, and then when we, when we moved in together, I moved to London at 21 after graduating and we moved in together. And I remember being really excited about him buying a bed that had... Um, a headboard with rails you know like bars uh -huh. like thinking this is you know that's going to be fun I, again it wasn't something we sort of explicitly discussed I don't remember explicitly discussing that but I remember that being a thing we wanted to do you know that kind of like oh we're going to do that it's going to be quite fun that sounds brilliant yeah it was he was a he was a really he was a lovely guy actually I, again I felt lucky I had a very safe space to kind of just be myself in that relationship which felt really good but again the sex wasn't a big part of that it wasn't something we ever really talked about it wasn't something we kind of explicitly discussed exploring different things within it's interesting so it, in one way completely contrary to what was going on at the time which is the idea that men were the ones who were interested and women if we were interested shouldn't really be um mm. 
And so here you are very comfortable and very interested in the guys that you're hooking up with are not so, yeah. not, not interested, but they're not so interested. They're not no, presenting. No. But also that you guys don't talk about it. And that is a consistent narrative um, in heteronormative relationships that persist to the present day. So I'm interested in people's stories when they say, you know, and we really, we really never talked about it. You know, we just did it. And actually it's really, it's reassuring to me to hear, um, to hear that because I think I speak to people now, um, you know, now that I'm exploring poly and other things and I speak to people in their twenties and they, they can't believe that I didn't talk about it. I'm like, well, we just didn't talk about it. And I just think it's really hard actually for people now to realize just how little sex was spoken about in the public space. It was just for titillation. It was like, here's what the Royals are doing. I remember all of that, you know, the, the Fergie and Andy, the Fergie and Andrew um, toe sucking thing and the kind of, you know, the, the Diana affair. That was all the mid nineties, early nineties. And I just think, it was very much, you know, this is what other people do and we can poke it, we can sort of point and stare and, and think about it. But the idea that you might actually talk about sex in your relationship, I just, it was just a blank, you know, it just wasn't something I even knew I should be doing. It was like a, an unknown unknown. Mm -hmm. So then you finished college and you moved in together. <laughs> and then how long did the relationship last, last after you were living together? Well, um, that's where things started shifting. I moved to London. Um, Dave and I kind of moved into his parents' house and they weren't really there. So that was, that was fairly, that was a fairly comfortable space. But I remember I got my first job um, working at The Independent. I worked in ad sales at The Independent. And what I didn't realize is just how um, sexually open and kind of sexually aggressive ad sales people can be because it tends <laughs> that industry again I didn't realize tended to attract um, young it tended to attract young confident attractive bright people um, and there were a lot of very very sexual people in that space I remember it being over almost overwhelming actually the kind of the, the sexual talk and the flirting it was a lot of people you know all in their basically early and mid-20s mm -hmm. so it did feel a bit it was a bit of an eye-opener from the off and to be honest, I'd been fairly reserved in how I dressed and I'd been fairly reserved in myself, as, presenting myself as a sexual person to others, I guess. Um, I hadn't really ever dressed in a very sexual way, but I found myself kind of wearing short skirts and kind of really, really enjoying the attention. You know, I was mm -hmm. kind of slim when I was 21, 22. I kind of, I was a pretty girl. And I just, I really, I remember kind of, deliberately kind of parading around the office in a short skirt, which sounds terrible now, obviously not meant to admit to doing these things. And <laughs> when there's so much kind of discomfort now around kind of sex in the workplace and how we kind of deal with, with contacts and sexual attention. But actually I remember, you know, enjoying, I remember enjoying the sexual attention. I remember feeling, uh, enjoying feeling attractive, enjoying feeling wanted. And there was a lot of socializing after work. It was a fairly high pressure job. Um, there was a lot of stress in terms of deadlines, but also revenues. We weren't, we were a struggling ad sales department. So there was kind of a lot of, a lot of drama, a lot of tension. And I think a lot of people went out after work to kind of drink and kind of release that. And, you know, I don't, 
I'm not proud of this, but I, I basically ended up kind of cheating. I met somebody I really liked and I loved age pieces, but I really, really connected with a couple of people that I work with and, you know, things, things became, there was some kissing and some intimacy. Um, and I remember really wanting those things to progress, but not knowing how to navigate that in the context of, you know, being in love with Dave and really enjoying that relationship as well. So um, Dave and I broke up after a few months of kind of back and forth and a bit of upset. And I kind of went a bit, well, I'd always say to myself, I went a bit off the rails, but I don't think I did actually. I think I just basically kind of just began really exploring something that I'd not really done before, which was mm -hmm. kind of with different people. And I ended up getting involved with a couple of guys who would never have identified as dominant or into that kind of yeah, kinky sex at the time, because again, it wasn't part of the vocabulary, but looking back on the experiences I had with both Mark and Andrew, two of the guys I kind of met through work, they were very, very kinky and they were very, very kind of DS kind of themed mm -hmm. and the power exchange <laughs> was going on and just really kind of some of the, some of the talk that was going on. It was a lot more aggressively sexual than I've been used to. Dave was a very gentle, kind, loving, sweet person. So to all of a sudden be exposed to very aggressive sexual talk, I really, I really liked it, but I didn't know why I liked it. Right. And that was the problem for me, I think, at that point. I didn't really understand what about those experiences was making them feel so good. Um, and when I left that workspace, I left after about a year, and again, I, without without real mobile phones and without the without the social media networks we have now, I didn't keep in touch with any of those people. So I moved on, and what happened next was very much. It was a new job. I'd got a promotion, and I remember walking into my new job, working for what was going to become Trinity Mirror's kind of national ad sales department, and thinking, right, I'm being serious now. This is my new serious job. You know, no more. <laughs> No more, no more, no more kind of kinky sex and kind of enjoying myself and, and being naughty. I just need to focus on my job. I need to be serious. And I kind of wore more serious clothes. And I remember kind of picking quite sort of boring suits, like long suits. You know, I remember picking very different clothes. I remember presenting myself very differently and really wanting to be taken seriously as a, as a salesperson. I was a field salesperson at that point. Um, and I was promoted within a couple of years. I ended up becoming the sales manager. So it kind of paid off in terms of my career, but I very much felt like I couldn't be both. Right. And this is something that I'm increasingly aware that I did in my 20s, was very much split off that sexual, fun, kind of kinky person, really, from everything else. It was like I couldn't be both. It's like you can't be... I really absorbed that kind of binary idea that you can't be both. You can't be pretty and clever. You can't be sexy and serious. Um, so I really parked that. Right. Really, and I parked that basically for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, a really long time. And when like, you think about that now, how do you feel about that? Um, it makes me really sad, actually. Mm -hmm. It makes me really sad. Um, I wish I'd known, if I could go back, I would tell, you know, I would go back and speak to 24-year-old Anita and explain that you can be sexy and have fun and be serious, you know, and you can enjoy those things and explore those things consciously without it meaning that you're not 
a good manager or a good friend or a mm -hmm. serious person. Um, I wish I'd found more room in my life for that really. And I wish I'd been more conscious of what it was about the sex I'd experienced earlier that I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. That would have really helped inform my, my sexual experience in my 20s, which to be honest, almost without exception, and I can name two exceptions. I mean, we're literally counting on one hand here up until 30 kind of positive sexual experiences. Right. That's yeah. sad. It is, yeah. I mean, so, it wasn't that they were negative, but they just weren't terribly exciting. It was just very, very vanilla, very, just very much like quickies after you get back in, quickies in the morning. It just felt, it was never a priority. It never felt like, a, I, I didn't feel like it was a priority for me, but also almost no one I met seemed to prioritize sex or seem comfortable. I don't know whether I was just attracting those people or whether that was just more common than I realized at the time. So then do you think you made your relationship, because you split that off, do you think you made your relationship choices following that on the basis of um, being serious? I hadn't thought of it like that, but I think, I, I see, yeah, quite possibly I did. And actually looking back, to be fair, I'm not sure how consciously I chose any of those people. Mm -hmm. Not really. I think it was very much like I wanted them to like me. I had a real need to be seen and to be kind of appreciated mm -hmm. and wanted as a, a sexual person, and as, as a person. Um, and I, both of my long-term, I had two long-term-ish boyfriends in my 20s, mid-20s, both relationships that lasted just over a year. Mm -hmm. And I look back and there wasn't a high, it wasn't a big degree of compatibility with either of them. Not really. And they were lo both lovely guys, but they weren't terribly excited or engaging relationships. But again, I just felt like I should have a boyfriend. So right. and this guy was interested, so I'd just see them. And it just became a habit. And then I would kind of break up and have a bit of fun. And I'd meet someone else. And then in my late 20s, so 25, 26, I had a couple of experiences. I seemed to go through my older man phase at that point. And that's where I basically ended up dating a couple of older guys, again, regretfully, both, most of whom were basically in long-term relationships of their own. Mm -hmm. So again, I kind of, I never really saw myself as the other woman because they, they were never that serious really. But equally, I remember, I remember doing that and thinking it wasn't really the ideal thing to be doing, but I didn't really think about it too much. It was like, well, I'm just having some fun and I don't, I never knew, I didn't expect those things to go anywhere. So I didn't right. really think about it terribly which again sounds awful, but I just didn't really think about it a lot. And then in my late twenties was when I met Mark. Um, right. And then obviously within six months we were engaged. And, you know, I do remember having a conversation with a friend of mine, um, a gay friend of mine, who basically said, and what's the sex like? And I was like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's good, you know, it's good. You know, and that that was literally it. Again, it didn't it didn't feel like a priority. It didn't feel like a priority. It was good enough. You know, I was really attracted to Mark. I was really I really enjoyed the sex we had, but I was still repeating that same pattern of not talking about it, not really prioritizing it, not really thinking it was a big deal. Yep. And so you got married. I did. I got married and I, within six, eight months, I was pregnant with my first child. So I had Alexander in 2008. 
and I had Kate in 2010. Um, you know, and I think, you know, during that time, you know, child, you know re- having babies was the priority. You know, Mark and, yep. I were talking about, Mark and I would talk about making sure we were still having sex. We certainly never did the six, eight, nine months of kind of no sex at all that a lot of married couples can experience, I think, when they're starting a family. So I feel lucky that we kind of kept that intimacy going. Um, but again, it it just felt like, right, we're just carrying on doing the same thing we've always done. There wasn't really a huge amount of talk about doing anything different. It didn't really feel like a priority. We, would, we made sure we were having sex at least once a week or once every two weeks. And um, we would talk about it if it went on for longer than that. But again, it wasn't, it wasn't very often. We never, again, we still never talked about what we liked, how we liked it. It just right. wasn't. It just wasn't part of our conversations. And it wasn't like I thought we should be. Again, I mean, it just didn't, it just didn't occur to me that we could or would do that. So when did you start feeling dissatisfied? I think I began feeling dissatisfied with the, my, my sexual life and my relationship around the same time, basically once the children had both started mm-hmm. school. So... Um, say 2010 Kate was born and by 2014 she was at school you know or going to school so 2014 2015 so about seven years into Mark and I's relationship um, I just I'd always put it down to the kids being small it's like the kids are small it's hard work I'm unhappy because the kids are small and then the kids weren't really small anymore and they were at school or in childcare, and I did have some time and I still felt frustrated and I still felt bored. And I remember not being able to talk to him about it. I remember feeling like there was no one to talk to about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just how I felt and I didn't really know what to do about it. Um, it didn't really occur to me that I might talk to Mark about how to improve our sex life. It literally, again, that sounds really crazy, but it just didn't occur to me. I suppose because we never had done that. It just didn't even occur to me. I just remember thinking, I'm not very happy. I don't really know why. And I carried on not really knowing why for another year or so. Um, But then because I would stopped drinking about two years prior to that, I, my energy levels had really come back. You know, the kids were both at school. I was writing um, and I started meeting some new people. um, And it was, it was that really, the catalyst really was a conversation with someone that I met when I was out. um, Someone I met through writing. Um, and it's the way he was talking to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was very confident and very, kind of that classic kind of dommy, aloof, very, very hyper-intelligent, very confident. I remember finding him really interesting. And then he said he'd, um, he'd had a link to a website on one of his profiles. And he's like, have you actually looked at that? I'm like, well, no, no, I hadn't looked at that obviously me doing anything consciously seems to be a running theme here so I mean he's like well you need to have a look we're going to keep talking because you know and I I I was I I looked at this thing and it was a a tumblr a ds tumblr and I'd literally never seen anything like that before in my life it was you know girls tied up it was girls on their knees it was guys in suits and it's all your very kind of classic DS stuff. There was some water play, there was <laughs> anal, 
plugs and I didn't even know what those things were. I remember looking at this picture for the first time of a plug and, looking and not knowing what it was, <laughs> which is just, I just, I didn't know. I just didn't know. I've been, I'd never been exposed to anything like that. And it literally was at that literal moment. It was like someone walking around in my head and turning all the lights on. Um, and I'm just like that, that is what I want that right now. And so from there, you ended up exploring and finally talking to Mark about needing to, to open things up in order yeah. to, to, tr to be able to explore. Did, did you guys, I think you guys initially tried some stuff. It didn't go very well. Yeah, we, um, we, we, I, so I had this come, I saw this stuff, I realized a few things about myself and what I needed. Um, the person I was talking to um, was very wise and was like, well, have you thought about an open relationship? And I really hadn't, it hadn't even occurred to me again. So I read Rewriting the Rules by Meg John Barker and I encouraged Mark to read it too. And we sat down and had a wonderful and a very painful, but essentially wonderful conversation about opening up our relationship. And he intellectually totally understood that. And that was, you know, that was, he was happy to do that. And I think he did perhaps at the time see that as a way of kind of reconnecting us as well. Mm -hmm. And I think for the first six months or so, it really did do that. It did play that part in refocusing us on our relationship as I was dating. Um, and we did try a few things. I think, you know, I was obviously really immersing myself in kind of reading about kink and finding out about what that dynamic actually meant I was having conversations via message and email with people that were talking the way I like to be talked to and were kind of really opening my eyes to what this might look like. Um, but it became, and Mark and I tried a couple of things, but it just, it wasn't, it became increasingly obvious that he was on the similar end of the spectrum to me, that actually hmm. I was discovering that I was <laughs> fairly submissive sexually and it became increasingly obvious that he was too uh, maybe not as much but that he definitely was on that side of the scale rather right. than the other. and as I realized that over the next year that that helped me make that helped make other things make a lot more sense it was like well if the dynamic was never quite right then of course the sex was never incredible you know it was always good it was always good enough there was never a question of that but it had never set things on fire for me. It never set, never set me alight in the way that even just talking about DS stuff was doing. You know, right. doing it, it was just, just the, the imagery, the talk, the ideas, that was what really kind of made me realise that that worked for me. That was what I wanted and needed. And <clears throat> so you have since put poly in practice, polyamory in practice, Absolutely. and the DS stuff in practice. Yeah. And how has that impacted the rest of your life? How have you felt about yourself having kind of finally gone for what feels right for you? It feels incredible. I just, I don't think, I don't think I could have imagined just how transformative that has been for me. Mm -hmm. um, discovering discovering the, the DS stuff, discovering that I was submissive and realizing how, how much I needed that release and how much I needed that 
type of connection to really kind of liberate myself outside. It's almost like the further I go down the submissive route and exploring those things, the more and more confident I become in my day-to-day life, the more right. able to cope with the challenges that having a family and navigating a separation um, and polyamory, but also my work as well with my writing. It's just, it literally has transformed me and I just, I'm literally not the same person I was. Um, it's been a really incredible couple of years of realizing that actually sex has changed my life um, mm-hmm. and actually discovering, discovering the kind of sex that works for me has changed my life. Um, and now I feel very much like I've been able to merge those two things that I can be a serious writer and a mother and someone that enjoys baking and someone that sits reading very, very serious long books and a very sexual and sexually active and sexually enthusiastic person. I feel like I've brought all those things together and that I'm kind of whole now. Uh, That's wonderful. That's fantastic. And so often I think people don't actually realize how important it is to be congruent and, yeah. and, and that when you're not integrated and you're not congruent, that um, that can really impact every single area of your life. Yeah. And people often devalue um, what sex and sexuality bring to that mix. Like that is often some of the things that you were saying is so I hear so often is, is, well, you know, we just didn't prioritize it. It isn't that important when in fact, actually it's incredibly important. It's only not important when it's going well. Yes. Yeah, because it's there then, isn't it? Yeah. And it, yeah. 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 Absolutely. And I think, um, I think it is just that sense of bringing all these things together. I think it's about, it's that whole mind-body split for me. Yep. It's the fact that we think, oh, you, we're all, we need to be up here in our heads. But actually it's about reconnecting our physical self with our intellectual self and our emotional self and seeing that actually it all works as a whole mm-hmm. and that, Sex and sexuality is very much part of that. Um, and I really do feel that now that I brought those di- different parts together, I just feel like I'm capable of doing so much more That's in every real- part of my life. So yeah. writing, um, and it's transformed my relationships as well. You know, I'm kind of more focused, I'm more present, I'm more relaxed, you know, I'm just happier. Yeah, which is brilliant. Now yeah. I know you have a book coming out very soon. I do. Do you want to just tell us the title and a little snippet about it? I've been writing a book for the last three years and um, it's coming out on January the 11th. It's called Appetite and it's a story of three people all discovering different things about themselves, all kind of working through their appetites for food, for sex and for change. Wonderful. And that can be pre-ordered on Amazon right now and there's a link in the podcast notes for anybody who's interested. So, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And thank you guys for listening. Today, we spoke about the journey to sexual congruence. We spoke about um, DS relationships, about the importance of talking about sex and actually prioritizing sex in your life and relationships, about the wonders of not having had shaming messages and how much more balanced that makes you. If any of these um, issues triggered you or if it resonates with you, please email me at drbisbee at the-intimacy-coach.com. 
It's D-R-B-I-S-B-E-Y at the-intimacy-coach.com for more information. And you can find some resources on the podcast pages as part of the podcast notes. Thanks for joining me for Sex Spoken here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Please write to me with your suggestions for the show and any questions you want answered. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and check out my YouTube channel. I now have a TV channel on the Bonbon Network, and the link is in the podcast notes. For a free 30-minute discovery session with me, go to https colon forward slash forward slash the-intimacy-coach.com and click on the button that says schedule now on the contact page. Please do leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher if you like this podcast, and the next four people who leave a review will receive a 10% discount on any of my services. I look forward to next week's episode, and thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes or on Stitcher. And make sure you head over to www.the-intimacy-coach.com to subscribe for free newsletter updates to help you create and sustain an exciting trouble-free sexual life. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes on all topics, sexy, sensual, and intimate. Thanks for listening.